Ladies and gentlemen, if you are hearing this, you have once again tuned in the Consequence of Habit podcast. This is number 50, 50 episodes. So I want to start off and say thank you to all of you listeners. This has become way bigger than I ever expected it to. We are, we're in over 60 countries right now. Uh, this thing's building steam. We got a lot of great things happening. I'm pleased to announce that we are officially a 501c3 nonprofit. There'll be some more information coming out about that, about a new website, uh, events coming up. We've got, we're going to have some actual events and how we plan on, on growing this thing, man. We're going to be talking about a lot of habits, trying to, trying to make lives better. So thank you to all the support. And I want to put out a huge thank you to my wife and my family for, for helping support this thing. To be honest with you, there is a lot of time and commitment that goes into that. So they have been amazing on and give me a little space and, and allowing me to, to, to build this thing. And on that note, speaking of building, I have a favor for 50 episodes. All I ask is I need some likes. I shouldn't say that. I don't need likes. I need just at least a review. If you guys could log on to Apple, uh, wherever you, you listen to your podcast and just leave some type of review. Uh, it me, why it means a lot. I don't know, but in the world of podcasts that seems to have a, um, a big impact on how it's listed and in um, how it's kind of advertised. So uh, if you could do that, I would greatly appreciate it. 50 episodes, everybody. All right, this week's guest is a man who is on a mission. He's in a transition in his life. Uh, he's spent, well, I think 24 years in the United States Navy. And throughout that time, he's been involved with uh, special operations units. Um, but he's, he, he had some hiccups, man. He had some problems along the way. It's that old liquid devil got him. He's very candid about his experiences with alcohol and, and well, specifically, uh, lack thereof, his, his, his journey in sobriety. In this episode, we get into why we do the things that we do. It's connection between action and emotion, or emotion and action. I think it's, it, it goes both ways. Chris has become an expert in mindfulness and meditation. And he's using these skills to help others, right? This, this notion of, I found my way through this storm, and now part of my mission is to help others do exactly the same. And man, Chris, man, he, he embodies that. But I'm going to let him tell the rest of the story. So please welcome to the podcast, Mr. Chris Norris. All right, today we are joined by Chris Norris. Uh, Chris, I was going through your your accolades on your LinkedIn, and it's it's extensive. There's there's a lot going on there, so I'm excited about this episode. I'm excited about talking about some things where we have some some commonality and some areas that that, that we don't. So, with that said, let's start off. First of all, where are you? Where are you right now? What time is it? And what is your occupation? Yeah, so. First of all, hey, thanks for having me on, JT. I'm really excited to be here, man. I, I really like this podcast. I like the whole the premise of it. Uh, I've listened to a few episodes, and uh, I'm really uh, impressed with some of the, the, the guests you've had on here as well. It's pretty, thanks. pretty cool. So, yeah, um, I'm in uh, Misawa, Japan right now, and it is 
4.35 in the morning. <laughs> the sun is just coming up. Uh, I'm currently a safety chief here for the installation, and uh, I was also the sexual assault response coordinator. I just turned that duty over. Um, I'm a construction mechanic, CD chief by trade, and uh, the majority of my experience comes from uh, supporting Naval Special Warfare where I worked for over a decade at Naval Special Warfare Development Group as a direct support technician. I got to do a whole bunch of fun things. So wow. that's me. I'm, I'm coming up on 24 years in the Navy, and I'll be, uh, I'll be having a transition ceremony here at the end of August. I wouldn't really call it retirement because I plan to keep working afterwards. There in, in Japan? Yeah, I'll have it here in Japan. And then after that, um, that ceremony uh, concludes, uh, we're going to Thailand. So Very cool. my wife's from, yeah, my wife's from Thailand. Uh, and, uh, so we're going to go back to Thailand for a few years. Uh, I plan to get my education from there, uh, with a master's of social work and we'll go, we'll go from there. That's awesome. Um, yeah, man. so the, the reason I came across your, your name or kind of your story, I was fairly new to LinkedIn. We have a lot of the same contacts and something at popped up and I, and I forget the exact wording, but it was something along the lines like 14 years ago. Uh, I made some decisions, uh, while intoxicated or something around alcohol. And it was just kind of talking about, excuse me, talking about that and, and some of the changes that you've, that you had to make at a certain point in your life. And I, I mean, I guess we'll just jump right into it. Uh, anyone who listens to this knows my own experiences around uh, alcohol misuse, and it actually was the catalyst to get this this change. Not in not only in just myself, but but you know the podcast, the the, the nonprofit, all of it. So uh, I love people that are vulnerable enough to to tell these things because I think it's so so important. Um, so if you could just maybe just give a quick rundown of what that looked like for you and 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 why a change was necessary. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I am in uh, long-term recovery from alcohol use disorder. I've been sober for over 14 years. And what does that look like? Well, um, first time I got intoxicated, I was 11 years old. Um, and I took to it like, like a fish to water, you know, whether or not, um, you could say I was, I was born with an alcohol gene or, or what have you. Um, I didn't really come from a background of a lot of trauma or anything like that. There's nothing to easily explain why I, why I took the alcohol so quickly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, uh, when I drank, I was off to the races from the very start. So I had problems with alcohol all the way up, you know, all through high school. And then, um, as people were graduating high school, I remember, uh, I had no real plans to do anything. I was just like drinking and, and working a, a crappy job and living in a crappy apartment with a crappy girlfriend and, <laughs> I was just going to blot it out to the miserable end. Sure, sure. <laughs> but, but, uh, so I, yeah, so something happened, man. I, uh, I just actually had a post about this, um, this last night I posted up about like post-traumatic growth type stuff. So I'll say what happened was, uh, I woke up in an, uh, a, a, a dusty, dingy, nasty apartment in Albany, New York. It wasn't my own apartment. It was, uh, like a college flop house type scenario. And, um, it was Christmas Eve, 1994, and my mother, of all people, was on the telephone. And back then, we didn't have like cell phones; weren't really a thing. It was like a, a cordless phone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, she told me that my nephew had died. And um, my nephew, so 
little backstory is I come from a large family. So I was actually born an uncle. So my nephew was a year older than I was. Mm. Um, that, and, and, and he was doing everything right while I was doing everything wrong. Mm. And here he was taken from this earth and I'm still around. And the news of that, of course, gutted me. Um, but I remember as I drove back to my mom's house, and this was a, such a loser I am, in my mom's car. I had my mom's car at the time, you know, back to her house. And, um, like, that news and all that stuff, like, it, it lit, like, a little spark in me. And I started to think about how much I was wasting my life and I wasn't doing anything with my life. I had to find a way out. I had to do something. So it took like another three years, but eventually I joined the Navy. Mm. And when I joined the Navy, I was, uh, I was, I was dry at the time. I hadn't drank in like eight months, um, joined the Navy. And then as, as some, as as some alcoholics do, you fall prey to that, uh, that little voice in the back of my head. that goes, you know what? You know, you hadn't drank it so long. You got your crap together now. I was living in California, you know, I was in shape, I had a tan, I had a job, I was in the Navy, I just right. got out of school, I did really well, so I was like, I could probably drink again, I could probably have a couple couple drinks, but uh, I mean, the reality is I never had a couple drinks my whole life, <laughs> so I drank again, and boom, it was off the races again, and it was ugly, it was nasty, and I didn't come back out of that <laughs> for another decade, so, yeah, so... Um, yeah, I mean, I, and I still did relatively well, you know, in the military. I busted my butt, and uh, I was in for a few years, and uh, I uh, screened and interviewed and was accepted in Naval Special Warfare Development Group, and I went from uh, the CB Battalion that I was working in down in Mississippi up to Virginia Beach and started working there, and that place is, you know, phenomenal, and, and I did well there as, as well, and I went through another selection and training process while I was there, and started doing uh, more direct support for the Navy SEALs, and I was jumping out of the planes, I was shooting guns, yeah. I was working the comms, I was having a blast. But I just couldn't get that monkey off my back, man. That the alcohol just had me. So as hard as I worked all day and, and everything I did throughout the day and, and oftentimes at night, um, when I whenever I was off work, I was drinking. And many, oftentimes by myself, you know, in my little apartment, just you know, just getting obliterated, just drinking myself into oblivion every night. And it was getting really, really bad. So yeah, the post you saw was for my, my 14 year commemoration of, uh, being released from jail for, uh, for my third, uh, driving under the influence charge. Yeah. And, uh, that was the last time I ever drank. Yeah. You- and it's, uh, again, it was a, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. I, I'm, I guess I can relate to some things and it's, to me, it's always this strange dynamic when professionally you're, you're excelling, right? And you've, so you, it's like you have these two different lives going on. And I think sometimes that can trick you into thinking that you've got everything under control because, because in one aspect of your life, you've got things figured out. Um, but it's, it's those alone times when things can get tricky and, um, well, it's just when you, you, you know, the kind of rubber meets the road of, of where there's a problem, where there's not a problem. Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, now I want to like shift blame or anything about like what happened with me, but you know, we can, uh, you know, folks can, can help facilitate that because, you know, I mean, I can remember back in like 
1999 of, of doing some crazy stuff drunk in Okinawa, Japan. And my chain of command at the time was like, ah, oh, he's a good worker. He's a hard worker, you know. Yeah. And then they would just covered it up, you know, just forgot about it. When they could have intervened at that point, I could, I probably could have went to rehab that and saved a lot of pain and misery. But it's okay, you know, it takes what it takes. But um, sometimes we can enable that behavior, you know, where you know it, my my alcoholism would certainly show its ugly head every now and again. It just couldn't couldn't cover it up. Whether I was out on a training trip or something out on the road and do something stupid and outrageous, you know, so I just. I couldn't drink like a normal person and I, and I couldn't stop drinking either. So, yeah, I mean, getting out of jail and, and having uh, a heart to heart discussion with myself and, and trying to figure this thing out. I ended up going to rehab. I ended up uh, marrying my girlfriend from Thailand and it's been a whirlwind adventure ever since, you know? And as I talked about in that, that post you saw, it's like, the benefits of, of that simple, I mean, it's a simple act of just not picking up a drink no matter what. It can be very difficult at times, but just that simple act really changed the trajectory of my life. Sure. So, sure. I, you know, I got my career back. I've, I've got, I'm still married to that girl here four or 14 years later and I have a, two lovely daughters with her and we have a life together and I got, I got all my stuff back, you know, yeah. and, have something today that I didn't have prior to any of that, which is I'm comfortable with my skin. You know, I'm super comfortable with my skin. I love myself today. Yeah, I know who I am. I'm. You're going to see. I'm taking a ton of notes, man, because you're, you're saying some things that um, I don't. I just don't want to miss. Uh, mm. And I was. I'd say the first thing is, and we we spoke about it. We covered it real quick before the podcast started. Was is the fact that. The, the, the military culture uh, has been intertwined with alcohol for a very long time. You know, it's just, it's been a tool that's been used to, uh, it's used to celebrate, it's, it's used to mourn. Uh, you know, like I said, you know, if your girlfriend broke up with you when you're in the military, your buddies brought you out and they got you drunk. If you got promoted, you went out and you got drunk. If you weren't working, there was a good chance... Um, especially if you're a drinker, you're going to make sure you're hanging out with the people that were like-minded and you guys were going to go out and you're going to do your thing. Mm-hmm. And there comes a point where that works for some people and they're just able to stop. And then there's people that are cut out of a different piece of wood. I think like, like you and I, where, where that process um, isn't the same. And, and, I, and I, do, I don't know what the process was for you. you know, I was in the Air Force, but... The stigma around that in the fact that people would just kind of push that aside and go, hey, he's a good worker without actually recognizing the fact that we've got this person is at the end of the day has a life or death uh, problem that that Mm -hmm. we if we care and we we want to show him love, then what we're going to do is we're going to help facilitate some type of of program for him. Um, Was what was the experience? Was it? it, I imagine just because there's a DUI involved, it's it's more of just a punitive thing, or or how much of it was like, hey, we have empathy for what you're going through, Chris. Yeah, it was it's something because I I think some of it becomes like nobody wants to acknowledge the elephant in the room because maybe they think like, hey, if if we if we think that like Chris is an alcoholic (laughs) and he needs help, like. Dude, I drink with Chris, you know, <laughs> so, so he's got a problem. What is that? What does that make me? Yeah. So, you know, and then, yeah, it, it wasn't, I mean, 
it wasn't, wasn't a punitive thing because if I didn't want to get the help, I probably could have got out of it. Mm-hmm. But I literally said, I need help. Like I remember sitting in the back of the cop car and like, you know, and, and thinking to myself at one point there was like a millisecond of peace and serenity where I was like, everything's going to be all right. I'm going to get the help I need out of this. Mm. But then I went right back to like, Oh my God, my life is fucked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I remember when I asked when I was like asking for help, they were, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but they're really unprepared for that. Like the yeah. guy that was screening me, I was like, Hey, are you sure? Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean it's no big deal. Like he's like, I got a DUI. So I still drink, you know? And I'm like, no man, like you don't understand. Like I need help. Like yeah. I am, I'm in bad shape. I was drinking every single day. I was going through, you know, withdrawals and sure. DTs and everything in the morning. And I was sometimes, you know, little hair of the dog in the morning to, mm-hmm. to get my ass to stop shaking, you know, yeah. it was really bad. So when I had asked for help, there were you know, a lot of people were like, Oh man, like, you know, you think you're overreacting. <laughs> I was like, no, you don't understand. Like I really need help. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it's like, uh, I was, I mean, I don't want to say it because I know how how bad it sounds, but I was like, welcome back to the command after rehab. People were trying to put beers in my hand Mm -hmm. after I'd already been to rehab. I was like, no, I'm I'm not doing that anymore. Like I'm, I'm serious about the sobriety thing. So I threw myself as hard into sobriety as I was into drinking. You know, I was, I was fucking full throttle. I was going to tons of meetings and, and working a program and, at the time it was, uh, I was working the 12 steps, you sure. know, and, uh, now my, my recovery looks a little different, but I still credit 12 steps with saving my life mm-hmm. in that fellowship. So yeah, man, it's, uh, it's, it's a hard, it, it was, it was definitely difficult to, you know, at times to, to stay sober in the military, but, um, you know, I'm sure anywhere where there would have been difficulties. I always just had this, this thing of like, if people were all around me were drinking, it was just that they can, I can't, and I let them. That's yeah. it, man. So it's acceptance, you know I mean? right? It's like accepting the fact that, that that just doesn't work for me. Um, that's cool. It works for them. And, and that actually leads me to my next question is, so you're coming from the special operations community. It's a very egocentric community, right? I mean, these people are, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in the fact that you have to be confident in the person that you are and what your capabilities are. If you're wavering in that, this probably isn't the right community for you. Did that affect, or do you think it affects maybe some individual's ability to, to have that acceptance at all? I think so. Absolutely. I think there's, there's probably lots of people that are suffering in silence, you know, because I mean, what, what, what does that look like? I mean, in in my mind, in many minds coming forward and saying, I have a problem. That's like, that's like coming forward and saying, I am weak (laughs) when it's actually the opposite, right? It takes a lot of, well, it takes a lot of balls for, for me to get on a a platform and say, Hey, um, my name's Chris. I'm a person who wants to recover from alcohol use disorder, you know, to, as you talk about being vulnerable, right. It takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable. But the cool thing about this is, is that I'm able to do that. And now JT and I are a little better connected. Maybe the listeners, you know, out there in radio land are more connected with me and I feel better. I'm more comfortable with my skin because I'm able to let this stuff out and and just give you like, you're going to get the, you're getting the full version of me, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, I don't hide it. So 
but yeah, it's hard because it looks like, again, it looks like I'm weak. I need help, you know, where See, that's that takes courage yes. to say that. Yes. And that, and I, I just said this on a podcast where I've had a lot of the same experiences where I mean, this is, this is no shit, Chris, I, mm. uh, 15 minutes. Well, no, that's not true. But about 45 minutes ago, I had to swing by and drop something off for a buddy. And it was at a, it was at a restaurant bar and they were, they were sitting there and, and I ordered a Heineken zero, right? So I drink non-alcoholic beer and the, the guy that the coworker who's, who's down the bar says, he goes, uh, you're still on that kick. Now it's been, it's been two and a half years. And I said, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm still on that kick. Yeah. It's not I, a right, kick anymore. Yeah, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and to the point where, you know, I've had other conversations with people and they've said, uh, you know, they've asked me about not drinking. And these were usually the same people that clown me. And I, and I apologize to anybody that, that is hearing this again, because I've told this story, but that, you know, uh, you know, I've always said, hey, there's these, these basic things in life, these things that you think of yourself. So Chris, you could say I'm, I'm a father and a husband, I'm a Navy chief, I'm all these different things. And these are all compromised by alcohol, right? Without if I continue down this path, a lot of these other things would not be there. And these are basic things. So I would tell somebody that I would say, Hey, this was my, my journey. And I had a real problem and, and it was compromising them. So, uh, I did the same thing you did is I reached out for help and I, I went to a 12 step program and they said, Oh man, it was that bad. And I said, dude, did you just hear everything else I said? Like, these are the most basic things in life. And they're mm -hmm. compromised by this one thing that if I can figure this out, uh, my life will be exponentially better. And it, and it has been. Mm -hmm. um, so I completely, completely get it. And then so one guy goes to me because, well, if I'm afraid if I go in a, the, a room, say I went to a meeting and what if I what if I see somebody else I know there? Mm -hmm. and I, I go, well, do you think that's a weakness? Because weakness is continuing to do the same thing that you've always done, that thing that compromises you. I like it. A, a grown man or woman with strength, they're the ones that can accept the fact that they need help. So I, I'm, I completely right. agree. And I, I love the fact that there's people like you talking about this to hopefully flip the script <clears throat> on that. And, and especially, especially post, I mean, I wish it was always like this, but 9-11, just because the way alcohol fits in with mental health and, and we're going to mm -hmm. get into some mindfulness and some meditation things, but uh, mm -hmm. I think it's, a, I think it's a, a huge crutch um, that people have been leaning on for, for too long. And, and you're right, suffering. suffering yeah. You know? And now, especially in this day and age with the pandemic and everything, I sure. mean, there's people that are drinking to intoxication more often than probably ever before, you know, 100%. and they're, you know, they're thinking like, you know, it's just, it's, it's literally like trying to put out a fire with gasoline. Like when you're drinking alcohol to try to help with anxiety, you know, yeah. it actually makes it worse. So, um, but yeah, I was just thinking about like, you know, if, anyone, if anyone's ever given me a hard time about my drinking, it's normally a pretty good indicator that they have a problem with alcohol as well. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> because I put myself back, you know, 15, 16 years ago, you know, if I was drinking and you were in the room and you weren't, like, I didn't even want you there. Like, get the hell out of here. Like, this isn't a spectator sport, man. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. That, that's because I, I had a massive problem with alcohol. <laughs> I, I've had people tell me, they're like, well, I don't, tr I don't, tr I don't trust people that don't drink. 
Right. And I said, well, that's the weirdest thing, man. I'm like, I'm like why not? You should, I'm, I'm more trustworthy now. Trust me. Trust me when I say that right. I'm more trustworthy yeah. now than I was when I was drinking. Like, dude, I peed, <laughs> in, a, I peed in a clothes hamper. Like, I don't know what your vetting right. process for trust right. is, but it's clearly lacking. Right. <laughs> right. Right, man. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm definitely more trustworthy now. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. There were some other things I wanted to say that I lost my train of thought about that. <laughs> uh, you mentioned you mentioned loving yourself, and and I Man. think getting back to the fact of of when you're alone is is those are the times. You're like, you know, it's easy to package something in front of others, especially when it's a job that you can do well. Um, but that. I think that notion or that, that image of what people thought somebody suffering with alcohol or drug misuse looked like. And it was always right. that TV movie kind of thing where it was just somebody trashed all day long. And, and I'm always, I'm always happy or not happy. I'm just, I just think that the story needs to be included that there's a lot of people out there that, that are, have an image of one thing. But it's almost like Facebook or any type of social media. Just just know what you see is not the whole story. And there's a lot of people um, that could benefit. You know, they could just benefit. It's just going to make their life a lot better. And, and um, that's not everybody. Some people, I, I'm sure you'll agree, I mean, and this is always said in the rooms, you know, when you see somebody leave a half, half a drink on a table and you're wondering, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> right. Uh, well, there's right. a difference. That's outrageous. Yeah. But I think, yeah, and to your point, there's there's high you know, high functioning alcoholics, you know. And if you if you like, if you looked at my resume, you know, you'd probably be like, oh, this, there's no way this guy's alcoholic. Sure. Look at everything he's done. But then some of it is also like, well, I don't know. I, I kind of boil it down like, man, I think I was doing a lot of that stuff and I was performing so well because I was trying to like make up for yes. the, the fact that like inside, I think I'm the biggest piece of shit in the world. So I have to like outwardly yeah. like prove these things to the world. Like I can, I can do hard things and I, and I i'm doing all this great stuff look at me you know i got my stuff together i got all my poop in a group but uh <laughs> inwardly like i i i'm not feeling it like i'm not feeling i'm feeling a lot of self-loathing and uh just constantly beat myself up and 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 and, and sometimes rightfully so you know i was doing some pretty bad things you know so it was like i was doing doing um you know things that wore away on my self-esteem because Oh, they're pretty terrible stuff. <laughs> yeah. So now the opposite has to happen. Once I sober up, you know, now I have to go out and do esteemable acts and do do charitable acts and do service work, as they would call it in right. rooms, right? And uh, so I can feel good about myself, you know, and 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 know that you know I'm a good person. I've always been a good person. I just had a you know I had a problem with alcohol. I had, as I said. I'm, I'm in recovery from an alcohol use disorder. It's really that simple. Is, isn't, you know? it, isn't it strange? You, you say, hey, I do service work to, to feel good about myself. And this goes into the habit thing where mm. you're doing the other stuff to feel good about your, at least feel good. It's just a, it's just a really short term kind of thing. And, and actually I'd put, yeah. I'd put a post up on LinkedIn uh, saying, Hey, if you could give advice to your 20 year old self or, and those, that was almost your exact phrase, right? I, I mean, I, I was, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, I'm just totally on that. That trip is like short term sensory pleasures lead to long term detriment. And now short term struggle, detriment, challenge leads to long term benefits. 
So yeah. what do I mean by that? Like we we were doing it. We don't even like know like, Hey, I'm going to go to the gym. What do I do when I go to the gym? I'm working out, right? Well, what am I really doing? I'm putting strain. I put struggle. I'm tearing muscle. Why? So it can be built up stronger. So now rather than like just constantly chasing pleasure and constantly uh, looking for the easier, softer way of doing things. Like I'm just like, that would lead to what that would lead to me like laying on my couch with my feet up eating ice cream and watching TV because it's soft and it's pleasurable, you know, which eventually I'm going to, I'm going to suffer immensely in the end. But instead nowadays I go out and I, I embrace challenge i don't want to you know i guess i can say i embrace the suck sure so i'm like there's so i'm still like struggling with like this middle path of like being self-compassionate but also like doing really hard things and embracing suffering because i you know with my running and such like i've definitely been out there and suffered Suffering. immensely <laughs> yeah yeah i i've seen the videos uh that was it was still kind of when I was new to your story and there was, there was a video of you running out in the rain and you were kind of just talking and I'm, mm-hmm. and it looked like it sucked, but I think you, you, it, and it's, it was, it was a, almost like a, a, a perspective video of you, mm-hmm. you were talking about, I love running in when it's raining because there's nobody else out here or something along those lines, right. you know? Yeah. So yeah, if you want, if you want the place to yourself, go the extra mile. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's like, uh, yeah, again, it goes back to like just being being comfortable being uncomfortable, you know, and knowing that like growth is going to come from that. And uh, like when I make the, when I, when I say, when I, I post up in my running group, like, hey, I'm running Saturday at six o'clock in the morning, like people already know, like it doesn't matter. It could be snowing. And I'm right. going running at right. six o'clock in the morning on Saturday. So, and uh, that, yeah. that, that change, because, because I, I imagine, you're, you were doing some of that in the military. Mm-hmm. You're doing a lot of that in the military, being in the groups that you're in. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that was enough to really keep your head above water. And I'm, I'm just shooting off the hip here, but so mm-hmm. it's almost like that you knew that that was a path to feeling a certain way about yourself. And, and, but, but there was still this anchor pulling you down the entire time. You've just gotten rid of the anchor and you're continuing to do those things that kind of give you, uh, I mean, really inner pride, right? And it comes down to yeah. how you feel about yourself, but yeah. uh, I'm speculating here. I'm not your shrink. And, <laughs> and I think, I think a lot of the, the running and, and the stuff that on the events I do and stuff like that, it really fills something in me that, that I lost when I left spec war mm. and I went back to the conventional forces and I, and I wasn't really into the operational side of it all. Like I, I couldn't really get jazzed about like this sidewalk project we had or something. You know? <laughs> right. I was like, dude, I'm like, I just came from like jumping out of airplanes and driving high speed boats and, and, and doing things that like what I was seeing on the evening news, you know? Right. And it, so I was like, I needed something to fill that hole that was left. And that's when I bought a pair of running shoes and some nutrition and a water bottle and said, I'm going to train for a marathon. And then from there it became an ultra marathon. And then from there it became, I'm going to run a hundred miles. And, awesome. and it's all that <clears throat> planning, preparation, putting things together, doing something that was, you know, hard. Um, you know, it's all just like, it feels, it, it definitely does something for me. I love it. You know, I absolutely love it. I love the discipline of it all. You know, I love you talk about consequences of habit. Like I have these habits today that, that, that fill me and, and make me a better person, yeah. you know? 
one of those is, you know, getting up like this, like, yeah, sure. It was, it's five o'clock in the morning here, but it's no big deal. Like I get up at four o'clock in the morning because that's my habit. Sure, sure. <laughs> and, you know, I go to bed when the sun goes down I get up when the sun comes up, you know? Hey, so, you, you mentioned doing, doing some charitable stuff and mm-hmm. one of the things that you've got coming up and it, it's the, the 31 miles in memory of, is, is it extortion? Is it, am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah. Extortion one seven. So yeah, I've done that. Yeah, I've done that for a few years now. Um, so Extortion 17 was the flight number that was uh, shot down, lucky shot uh, RPG in uh, Afghanistan. And on board were um, 30 special operators and one military working dog. And um, those were members of the uh, command I worked at for a long time. And uh, <clears throat> in particular, uh, there's a gentleman on board named Thomas Ratzlaff on the uh, I call him rat. Everyone called him rat. And, uh, I went through selection and training with him in 2003 and then we got out and, uh, he was my book leader for a while. And, uh, we did our first deployment together after, uh, after selection and training. And, uh, he was an awesome dude. Just like, I mean, everyone was great on that flight. I mean, on there all great, but I really had a connection with, uh, mm-hmm. with rat. So, I'm doing it in his memory and, and, and for, I said for a few years now, I've always done something with 31 in it. It's normally 31 miles. Either I'll ruck hump 31 miles. I did. I, fucking, I ruck humped one year in Okinawa, Japan, 31 miles. Like the, it was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. It was so goddamn how I think I got freaking heat stroke or something. It was, it was really bad. Um, and I usually run it. And I'll do it either that I've done trail races for it or, or I'll just do it on, on the road. Um, and then one year I was, I was hurt. So I, I actually did uh, 20 miles of bike riding and an 11 mile run for 31 miles. Um, but yeah, so this year coming up, I'm going to do it uh, August 7th will be uh, 2021. It will be the 10th anniversary. Um, and I'm going to do it out in Northern Japan, Lake Tawada, um, it's a 29 mile loop around the lake, but I'm going to tack on an extra two miles. And, uh, there's one really big hill climb there. So of course I'm going to start the bottom of that hill climb. So I get to hit that hill climb twice. So nice. it'll be about 4,500 feet of climbing 31 miles. Hope to do it in less than six hours. <clears throat> do you, do yeah. you, how do you tie in suffering and mindfulness training how do you how do you think those two kind of intertwine with each other Mm, great question man well i I can bring up a good example of that was um i did a hundred mile run in august of 2020 and uh i remember at mile 35 ish i got a massive pain in my uh my right ankle and at first I thought I was stung by a bee. I actually stopped and pulled down my sock and I was like, damn it, there's not a bee there. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was. It would be easier <laughs> right. to explain why it hurt so bad. Um, but anyway, so my mind went to like, boom, my God. Like if your ankle hurts this bad at mile 35, how are you going to do 65 more miles? And then my mindfulness training went, boom, bring it back to you. Bring it back to right here, right now, in this mile stay in this mile and just do the best you can in this moment, in this mile, stay within each footfall, you know, rather than letting my mind trip out into the future. And what's crazy is, and I don't know how this works, but I felt better 
like 30 miles later than I did at mile 35. I felt better at mile 65, but then I kind of fell apart at mile 75. But <laughs> <laughs> And so my mindfulness training too is like, is, 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 you know, breathing into the pain and vision and some visualization stuff that I'll do, you know, um, you know, like I'll literally run if I'm hurting, like I'll, I'll imagine like a, a healing golden light in my in breaths and breathing out like, uh, almost like uh, his name, Michael Duncan or something, the guy at uh, the Green Mile when he yep. had all those black bees coming out of his mouth. I'll imagine that type of stuff. And it, and it helps. Yeah. It helps to, to relax around it and accept it. And, and uh, yeah, you know, I have, I have a lot of these little tips and tricks I do, you know, and I, I think just – I think just having a meditation practice every day, you know, it makes me more in tune with my, uh, with what's going on, my internal landscape. And, um, I don't know, I can just, I can really objectify pain today and like not, not let it rule me. Um, and I'm not saying it's always good. I don't like, I don't want to say like I'm some masochist and I'm I'm not condoning, like go out and run on broken legs or something, but at the same time, it's like, accept some suffering that's for sure especially if it's something you can't change you know because you know if you can change the situation well, change it make things a little more comfortable for yourself i guess but if you can't change it you just have to you just have to embrace it or any, you know anything else is like madness so it's an acceptance yeah thing. yeah it's i mean I, I, I'm not telling you something you don't know, but you, your ankle is a metaphor for recovery in itself. And, and I think that's one of the biggest things about telling somebody or somebody trying to even go through that process. They're like, dude, wait, wait, you tell me I can't drink for the rest of my life. Like, no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying maybe not today or the next five minutes or whatever it takes. And then you'll be surprised just like the miles tick away, you know, um, mm-hmm. what, yes. How, how did that process work for you? I mean, as far as you, you, you mentioned, uh, 12 steps saved my life. How did, is that morphed into more just a mindfulness thing? Like you're just a, a little more emotionally aware than you were or a lot more emotionally aware than you were then. Um, how, do, how, do you, how do you stay on that path of just kind of acceptance and, and being in tune with, uh, w- with what's going on between your ears? Yeah, well, I would think that first of all, like putting time and distance between myself and the last drink and also like having a mindfulness practice have made me like less emotional anyway, you know? So it's like I have less stress and less emotion to even have to deal with um, to begin with. And then it's 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 much more easier to, to tamper it um, than it was before, you know? It's like... When I, like, you know, these tools of, of, you know, of living a good life, it's, um, in a way, like, it can use the analogy of, like, you know, the toolbox and the tools that were within it. The thing about them is, like, as I use them, like, they get bigger, so they're easier to find, mm-hmm. you know? So, when like, when I first got into sobriety, like... I was like stark raving sober. So like, it looked like, like, what were my tools? So my tools were like more coffee, more donuts, more cigarettes, you know? (laughs) And then wondering why I was like, just going crazy because I mean, I mean, I was probably doing just about everything wrong in early sobriety other than the one thing I was doing right, which was, I wasn't taking a drink no matter what happened. Mm. And then over time, just things just got better, you know, through working, 
working through the 12 step program and now, um, working, you know, more of a Buddhist type, uh, program of, uh, I got into like uh, refuge recovery and then recovery Dharma and even like Buddhist recovery network. And, and they, a lot of that, you know, a lot of it is, you know, the 12 steps are kind of related to it in a way. Um, but yeah, a lot of that is like, you know, just, just following those, those precepts and, you know, accepting the four noble truths and, and, and trying to take the eightfold path in my life. So, and yeah, man, things are just continually getting better. <clears throat> so is, is that been a part of living in Japan? That's been really appealing to you is, is, uh, that aspect of it, you think? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I love Japan. I absolutely love Japan. Um, in Japan, you know, we have a lot of Buddhist temples here. We also have a lot of more Shinto temples. And I really like the, the Shinto religion. It's pretty cool. It's a very, like, uh, natural religion where they're really into worshiping the mountains and the rocks and the trees and everything. And it's pretty cool. You go to, like, the trailheads here, and they'll have uh, a Tori gate, like the, the big red Tori gates. Mm-hmm. And a Tori gate is cool because it marks a... a um, a line of, of demarcation between the mundane and the spiritual. That's cool. So, so you get up to a trailhead and I'll bow for the Tory gate. And as I enter the trail to go into the mountains, I'm now into the spiritual side where I just came from the mundane. Um, <clears throat> and then on top of all the mountains too, they'll have like little, uh, little shrines and, and temples and such that are you know, up there. So, and, uh, I just climbed Mount Awadi a couple of weeks ago. It's the tallest peak in the, Wadi prefecture and then on top there's a you know a buddha statue and there's some shrines up there i thought that was really cool um but yeah so part of it's that um i really got into refuge recovery the, the buddhist recovery path um in california and it was just just i don't know just a natural progression for me um i'd gotten into mindfulness in meditation in California through a program called mindfulness for veterans. And, uh, I was, I was in a, a, a class for stress and family. And it was like, I think it was called focus, like families overcoming stress or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the counselor, I think, um, like my PTSD was like the elephant in the room that I didn't know, like I had, but she could tell, like I definitely needed some help. <laughs> and, um, I remember she slid a pamphlet across the desk at the end of one of our sessions. She was like, you might want to check this out. And it was uh, called mindfulness for veterans. And I ended up going there and it was really cool. It was led by this uh, 40 year PhD hippie from Ojai, California. And it was in Camarillo, California. And I went in the room and there was a, a bunch of Vietnam vets, and a Korean war vet and some OAF, OEF vets. And, uh, yeah, we went, I mean, I didn't even dip my toe in like meditation. Like it was like full on full court press meditation from my first session. I remember I was really uh, like, yeah, the first time I went, like we did like a 45 minute long meditation, which to me was like, holy crap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm up for challenges. So I stuck it, I stuck with it and I kept going back. And then from there I ended up deploying, I was in a deploying unit at the time I had deploying to Okinawa, Japan. And, and I just, uh, I downloaded the app headspace before I left and, uh, I kept with it. And then, um, when I got to Okinawa, I was really prior to leaving, I got into refuge recovery and I, and I missed those meetings. So I decided to, uh, start a refuge recovery meeting in Okinawa on, on Sunday nights and, uh, to, to 
kind of give a give an alternative to you for 12 steps, you know, because 12 steps is in a lot of places. That's all they have. So I figured that if somebody didn't want to do 12 steps, maybe they want to do this. And what what is it? That, that what, it. What, what is refuge recovery? I, I don't know anything about it. Oh, okay. So refuge recovery is a, a program that utilizes the, the four noble truths of Buddhism and the eightfold path of Buddhism um, to, to help uh, heal the suffering of addiction. And it's, it's open to addictions of all kinds. So it's not just, uh, not just alcoholism. And it's also it could be process addictions, you know, or reading or something like that, you know, or uh, sex addiction, whatever it may be. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's a book out and, uh, there's tons of meetings. Um, there was also, I mean, there was some controversy within that, that, um, that fellowship and, uh, from that controversy of, of the leadership within there, another fellowship sprung out of it called, uh, recovery Dharma, which is the same thing really. And, uh, they had a really strong online presence. So, which was, uh, super helpful when the pandemic came because, uh, we didn't, there wasn't a struggle to, uh, convert to online meetings. So sure. they had a really strong online presence. Hmm. Yeah. I have to check yeah. those out. Yeah. That's uh, like stoicism was kind of that thing for me. And I think mm. whether it be Bo- in, in Buddhism and I'm, I'm speculating you, you've mentioned the fact that, you know, when you get into the 12 steps, there's a lot of similarities between these things. And, and I, and I know even within uh, stoicism, you can find a lot of these, the, these same things of just understanding, putting, connecting actions with feelings wanting to mm-hmm. escape, um, and then having some principles, some guidelines to, to guide you through some of your, your life. Because, you know, I've always said, I, I, you know, I, when I look back, I just realized I was along for the ride for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, didn't have these guidelines and these principles. And, and yeah, even now, if, if I'm not consciously thinking about it and making it a part of my, my life, then it's very easy. Like my default mode is not healthy. Uh, it's not a healthy one, right? <laughs> like I need, right. I need, uh, I need to keep on top of it because for whatever reason, it's just again, it comes back to acceptance. It's just kind of the way I was born, I think. Yeah, I, I can relate to that, um, and I think like if it, you know, I, I've been, I, I've done therapy and, and um, you know, some mental health treatments sure. and stuff like that, and that's been super helpful too. Like, yeah. I, I love, uh, you know, I, I'm not shy to talk about that. Because, you know, without it, without, like, healing those underlying conditions, like, even if I'm not drinking, I'll find something else that, you know, something else to, to, to do to an extreme level that may not be healthy, you know, if it gets me outside of myself. So, uh, as I've said in the past, it's like, my addictions is like a shapeshifter, you know, it's like, it doesn't, uh, just because I put down the alcohol, just because the monkey's off my back doesn't mean the circus left town. Oh, no. <laughs> Do, do you do you think you replace some of that with with running at times? Yeah, I mean, there could be some of that going on, but at the same time, it's like I don't know, man. Because I think at times I started definitely down that path, and um, I got hurt in uh, 2019. Hurt real bad. I had a uh, nine millimeter bulging disc in my back, Ooh. and. Uh, that like actually was like a blessing in disguise because what it did was it took running away from me. And I, and I started to look at like, what was I doing with running and was I using it like in a, in a, 
you know, in a disorderly way. So I went into counseling and it was pretty funny. It was like, I'm like talking to the guy like, Hey, yeah, you know, I'm here to, to, for therapy because I've heard that like unresolved trauma can manifest itself in the body as like injuries and problems. So yeah, I've been through a lot, but I'm like, I really just want to get healthy so I can run this 110 kilometer race that's coming up. <laughs> and the guy like, running sounds really important to you. Like, let's explore that. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So Cause I was, I don't know, I was, I, I was doing it for a while for the wrong reasons. I was doing it from a place of like ego and, and doing it from a place of like uh, self-worth and, you know, was, you know, putting too much emphasis on like the distance I was doing and my, my times and stuff like that. And, you know, validating my existence through running. Um, so like, it was like, if you replace the word, you know, run, you know, took alcohol out and just, plugged in running and went through the scenario and like the, the uh, DSM five, you know, it would probably be like, yeah, this dude's got a, it's got a problem with running. Yeah. I, well, <laughs> so, the only reason I, I even ask is, is I don't know if you, I've had uh, a gentleman named Taylor spike on and I, I don't know if you've heard of Taylor or know his story, but same, same thing. He comes from a world of, of alcohol misuse and, and for whatever reason he started running. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's not for whatever reason, he's got a very specific reason and, you know, he just got done with a Coca Dona 200, 250. So he's doing 250 mm-hmm. miles in three days and he's mm-hmm. talked about it. He says, you know, I, I've, he's pretty open. He says, I've, I've, I've replaced it except the consequences right now are, are, are different. But I do think it's important to, um, you know, I, you know, we talk about, we talk about ego and, and identity, and mm-hmm. you even mentioned, you know, so I left, I left the, the special operations community and that's kind of, that's, that's a big part of somebody's identity. And now you're, mm-hmm. you know, you've got these other projects and you're, it's a hard time getting excited about it. So you need something else to latch onto. And we all do. I'm not saying like mm-hmm. just you and it's, um, I'm, I'm really, I'm very curious about it. I mean, I'm curious about that. Just the way the brain works when something that is so important to you that you, that is your identity is no longer there. Where do you go from there and how do you keep moving forward? And, and, uh, you know, for some people they crumble and other people, they, you know, that, that obstacle becomes a way. Um, and I don't have anything more to say about it other than I'm really interested. Yeah. In it. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty cool. Yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was difficult. I mean, I had a time where I was like, well, I had to be comfortable with, with the fact that I may never run again. So then I was like, well, what am I going to do? Yeah. And then I was like, well, I'll find something else yeah. or I won't. <laughs> I guess <laughs> I don't know. Like I had to be okay with it. And then when I, I healed and I came back to running, I wanted to come back to it from a different angle. I wanted to make sure that like, Hey, I'm going out running today. Not because I have to run or, you know, I'm not going to be right. Like, I wanted to say, well, I'm going to go run today because it's, it's good for me and it's fun, you know, but I'm not like, I need to run. Like it's, it's not like it was like, I was really a slave for a while to a spreadsheet. I had a spreadsheet that said like, today you're running 12 miles. I don't give a shit what your, what your feel like or anything. Like you have to do these mileage. You have to make these miles. And yeah, again, like I liked, you know, I liked posting the results. I liked the accolades. I liked all that. So I started to really identify, like, you know, that 
that was who I was and I needed it in my life. Um, and yeah, so again, it's like it, it, if I don't heal the underlying condition of whatever is going on, like I'll continue to do things like on to an unnatural level. Cause I did the same thing with motorcycling. Like when I first got sober, I got, I got a motorcycle. I put 60,000 miles on that motorcycle. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I was constantly on it. I, I was an everyday rider. I rode again. I liked the, like the discipline of like, people are like, did you ride today? Like it's 15 degrees outside, but I got a little fine. You know, yeah. I had heating gear the whole nine, you know, and uh, all that. And then I got into, um, this GPS treasure hunting game yeah. is called geocaching. Yeah, I know. I was it's like, true. yeah, yeah. I couldn't go out and just find like five geocaches. I found 1500. Good <laughs> Lord. Right. So it's like, and it, it got to the point where it wasn't even fun. Like I was getting my, my wife at the time, God bless her. Like I, I drove, I tried through some hellacious things like motorcycling and geocaching and, and even running, you know, I mean, she was, she, she cruised a lot of these crazy runs I did. She was right there for my hundred miler that I did. That was a, self-supported journey of, wow. you know, in Japan. Um, yeah. So I don't know, man, it's, um, I guess I've always had a problem with portions. Uh. <laughs> well, I, I, there's a, there's a gentleman I had on here, uh, named, uh, Freddie Chigog. And he said when he was born that, that God just touched him and said, excess, and everything you're going to do from here on out is going to be an excess. So it sounds like it sounds like he might have you might have gotten touched by by that same that same God. Yeah. So yeah, it's just man, I'm just trying to I'm trying to do things at a as a good, healthy, natural level. You know, don't ever want to overcook anything. It's like I said before. It's like always just trying to find that middle path, sure. just trying to find that middle way between like embracing suffering and 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 being self compassionate. You know, and yeah. and going out and doing a. Maybe I could just go do a 10 mile run. I don't have to do a hundred mile run. Right. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. So, so what, what's your daily mindfulness practice look like uh, these days? So uh, I wake up uh, in early in the morning and uh, one of the first things I do is uh, I make a cup of coffee, honestly. And then I do a, I do a meditation, whether, you know, it's usually a guided meditation, sometimes a silent meditation, anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. Um, and then <clears throat> sometimes I'll do them in the evening as well and tend to do like longer ones on the weekends, like a Sunday, I like to throw in like a 30 to 40 minute meditation. I, uh, I also incorporated within my running and such too. Like I've done meditations prior to a run. Mm -hmm. I call it the cool down before the run. Mm -hmm. So go from like, <clears throat> my work day rather than going for my work day and then throwing on my running clothes and, and getting out the door and running right when I get home, I'll come home, throw on running clothes, sit for five to 10 minutes, observe my breathing, observe what I'm feeling in my body, you know, just get there, get mindful, get in the moment and then try to extend that mindfulness and that in the moment into my run. I've done it too, where I've run like, especially out in the mountains or out in the forest, I'll stop like mid run and just set my timer and sit for 10 minutes and just listen to the sounds around me. And it's amazing. Yeah. You know, it's amazing the amount of, of sound and activity out there. And, and it's really cool too. Is like, it's, um, it, it, um, enhances my trust because you know, it's something to close your eyes, you know, and, uh, and hear sounds around you and be like, 
I'm safe. I'm comfortable. It's okay. You know, <laughs> rather than like, what the hell is that? Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> <Is that> a <laughs> bear. <laughs> Have you worked so, in breath work, you know, almost like a Wim Hof kind of thing also? Have you, have you explored that? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, I've not really so much the Wim Hof method. I, I'm familiar with it, um, but I've, I've dabbled a little bit into, uh, since you've talked about Wim Hof, was like, you know, uh, cold showers and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's definitely something there. There's something in like, uh, I just saw recently like i didn't realize that there was such a thing it's called the mammalian dive reflex where you can splash cold water on your face well and especially into your your nasal cavity and it will it will help uh calm you down it will, mm-hmm. it will initiate that uh parasympathetic nervous yep, system that's it um also yeah i've done um box breathing i've done what they call the the four seven eight four second in breath hold for seven out breath eight seconds you know because that extended out breath is really uh you know one of the keys to to getting the parasympathetic nervous system going uh yeah so i have definitely done that and um i've done uh kundalini breath where you're like yep, yep. you know inhale through one nostril and breathe out so yeah stuff like that man it's all super helpful i i believe in all that like i uh I love delving into all these different wellness practices and then, and then putting them into my life. So as much as I like to read about things, I really like to, to be about it and see, see what it can do for me. Yeah. How much of a transformation have you seen within the military community? Uh, that being open-minded to, to these different practices, say from literally from the time that you've started to, to now. Yeah. I mean, I never even heard of it. Well, I guess I didn't hear about it. They just nobody called it what it was. So I, I mean, I remember in boot camp, nineteen ninety seven. I remember my RDC. He was he was into powerlifting. He was into weightlifting. So he was big into visualization. Yeah. So I remember we did an exercise where we were doing it was like the the recruit Olympics or whatever, and we were we were we were about to win this thing. And our last event was a tug of war. And I remember laying on the floor and him telling us to concentrate on our breathing, you know, and then start visualization of us getting up, holding onto the rope, how we're going to crush the opponents, blah, blah, blah. So like that was mindfulness. That was meditation. Then I I get out of that. I get to my tech school and I go to um, the gun range. And when they're talking about concentrating on my front sight and they're talking about taking a breath in and watching the sight rise and taking a breath out. And then we pause pull the trigger slowly and boom, like that's in a way a mindfulness meditation practice as well. Is, yeah. um, and then I really got into it with the uh, special warfare, like they're, and they're more open to, to things that they think are going to optimize their human performance. So if you tell them like, Hey, you know, maybe thinking about this breathing exercises, you know, they're like, will that make me a better operator? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm down, you know, and then a byproduct of that is like, well, it may also make you a better person as well. So I was first exposed to box breathing with special warfare. And now I just saw, um, we're a little behind the times here in Japan, but someone pushed me an article about the warrior toughness program, which is, uh, being facilitated in, uh, boot camps in the Navy. And geez, I think I'm a, could be off, but I think his name is Steven drum might be the, um, retired master chief seal. That was part of, of putting that thing together. A big part of that is mindfulness yeah. and they're calling it mindfulness breathing. Well, 
that's another way of saying meditation. Sure. But if you say meditation to some people, they're like, I'm not into that hippy dippy bullshit, you yeah. know, but <laughs> yeah. if I just call it, well, how about we just sit down and concentrate on our breathing for 15 minutes? They'll be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. Call it, call it tactical breathing. And, right. And let's yeah. call it tactical breathing. Yeah. And, and they'll be all in. But yeah, I've seen, you know, a lot of it's just been through the podcast here and in my own experiences, but um, I'm seeing a uh, it having a huge impact within the veteran community, you know, so whether it was somebody who started, started it as, as a way to improve themselves as a, you know, a tactical athlete, um, mm-hmm. or now it's, they've gotten out of the military and it's helping them kind of deal with some of the PTSD issues. I, I had for sure the people from humble warrior. I don't know if you've, you've ever talked to them. And, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm connected with them on LinkedIn for sure. Um, yeah. Keith and sure. Elaine, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of people out there doing some great things. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think we're just kind of getting into it and, and, and dipping our toes into what is possible with it. And I'm excited to mm-hmm. see some of the benefits. I, I you know, something's got to change, right? Real change comes when it because there's no other alternative and we've gotten right. to a point where we we know just not to say that 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 medication doesn't have its place uh for for some people it's been a lifesaver but there's there's mm-hmm. other things it's just like recovery there's other ways to go about it and and we definitely have to be willing to explore stuff that maybe isn't in our comfort zone you know we've always thought these people were just you know smell like patchouli oil and did yoga and, and you know, wore Birkenstocks. Sales, Birkenstocks and, and <laughs> but there are there's something. anything wrong with that. Oh, but oh. so, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's back. It, it's been totally more acceptable now. And I actually have become known as the meditation guy here on the South air base. So I get um, health promotions, uh, get a hold of me every now and again and say, Hey, we've got a, a wing here in the air force that would like you to come over and do a meditation presentation and I'll come over and I'll give them uh, here's a quick down and dirty of what meditation is and what meditation isn't and so on and so forth. And then if they're comfortable with it, we'll do a 10 minute mindfulness of a breathing practice. And I've yet to get a bad review. I mean, if, if there are people that have been, they just keep it to themselves, yeah. <laughs> but uh, people normally love it, you know, and then they're interested in it. So I had, um, a meditation group going for about two years here called Masala Meditates. Um, I've just wrapped it up and uh, I've t- turned it over to somebody else because I'm leaving uh, right. in a few months. Yeah. So it's, it's become way more accepted. People are, are looking for alternatives, you know, and, and I'm excited to see all the stuff that's coming. And uh, I think it's important to, you know, to develop all sorts of different pathways because what works for me may not work for somebody else, you know? So it's, it's important to have multiple pathways out there for people to, to help themselves. Sure. For sure. Hey, there's no, no shortage of trauma. That's for sure. So we got to figure out some stuff to do for it. Something, well, and, and there's no short of trauma and there's no shortage of ways to temporarily escape it. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and I was trying to, I was, uh, some, some, a listener had asked me some questions and I had written a response to him and, and, it made me really think about that. Like, you know, there's been trauma forever. Like always been, there's always been trauma, but I don't know if we've always had escape so accessible as it is these days. And, uh, yeah. you know, and this is the elephant in the room, right? Like these, right. these you know, I'm holding up a phone. And, exactly. 
<clears throat> exactly where my mind went. I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> is it, do you find do you find that an, an easy? Are you? Do you find that yeah. that's something you go to and you, and you can you can identify that when you're like, oh yeah, there's there's mm-hmm. definitely something there. Yeah, there's definitely so, and I, yeah, again, it's. Um, I've talked about this. Is this like you know? Whenever I get a feeling of like reach for my cell phone, this every now and again, pause. Like, what's going on? Like, why the hell? Why, what? What's actually going on right now? Why am I? Why am I going for my cell phone? Is it because there's some uncomfortable feeling or emotion or something has come up that I don't want to think about or deal with, or maybe it's something like, hey, I wonder why does you know plankton glow in the dark? <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> I, I don't even know that's true, but yeah. <laughs> um, just an example, uh, you know, so yeah, as you said, it's, 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 it's easy today to just scroll endlessly through social media or Instagram or what have you. And just like fucking input, 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 input. It's like, Oh my goodness. We've never, you know, it's like, um, overstimulation and, undernourishment it is i was <laughs> just, i was just listening to you i'm sure you know of sam harris right so mm-hmm. uh i'm a i'm a big sam harris fan and he had somebody on the other day and, and they were talking this guy was comes from the tech tech world and he was saying yeah i think we're gonna look back at our phones and social media like we looked at smoking on airplanes like this mm-hmm. is this like what the hell were we thinking i mean we were putting these addictive things in our kids faces and i don't right. know if he's right i have a feeling he might be um because it's it is, it's it's sad man it, it was is. like we've never been so connected prior in history and and yet so disconnected from each other or because from we no longer and from ourselves yeah, yeah. it's crazy i mean and there don't get me wrong <clears> there is power in it there's power in the apps and, and there is but you really got to wonder, is the juice worth the squeeze? Because the, the amount of alone time that we would have to contemplate our thoughts without them, um, it's, it's extraordinary. I mean, can you imagine a flight right now without a phone? What the hell would you do? You would, if they said, hey, Chris, really? if you're flying back to California from Japan, no phone, no movies, good luck. Uh, now maybe you would, you've got some tools to get a book, man. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You've got some tools, but but there's a lot of people that that's, that's like a jail sentence. Like fucking panic, just panic and thinking about it. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's really is when you think about it. Oh my goodness. Like you, people bring that thing into the bathroom with them, you know, (laughs) I'm sure if it was waterproof enough, you'd probably be in the shower with it too. Sure. Um, it's just like, yeah, to think like you're not addicted. It's like, well, put your phone in your nightstand and shut the, shut the drawer and leave it there for a week. Yeah. Let's see just how the thought goes. of that, just the thought of that makes you, oh, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> when like, you know, I mean, I'm old enough to know. I mean, remember the times when phone, when phones were tied to the wall and we were free. <laughs> I, now phones are tied to us and yeah. are we imprisoned? <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're too far off on, on, on age and, and I didn't have a cell phone until, uh, man, I must've been 28 or so. Mm-hmm. I think when I got my first one. So, um, and the thought, like the thought of it now, like if I, if I leave it, I leave it in my car. We brought the family swimming the other yesterday and it was in, it was in my cars. And I, man, there, there. If that's not a telltale sign, when you're like, oh, 
man, I, I don't need it swimming yet. For some reason it should be with me. <laughs> like what? Right. There's right. No sense in that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, I mean, it's like the one thing if I was like a, a heart surgeon on call or something, not, but yeah. it's like, Far from no, I'm not, I'm not, it's not that important, man. No one no. needs to get old of me 24 yeah. seven. Um, so some, so I mean, recently what I've done with some of that is like, I've limit myself. Like I, I, I realized now that I can set my phone up to where, um, I can put a limit to the amount of time that apps are allowed to be open. And then also I can make it just all go, it all shuts down at like 2100. And it's not coming back online until zero six. That's all. Awesome. And now, of course, when I go to open something, it will say time limit, and I can I can like choose to ignore time limit. <laughs> uh, so it like gives you the option of ignore time limit for a minute, fifteen minutes, or ignore it for the whole day. Screw it. I'm going yeah, off. Yeah, you yeah. know, I'm going yeah. off my diet here. Right. Right. Um, so I mean, yeah, it's it's something that's for sure. I hope to you know be able to get away from it more and more and more. Um, and just be disciplined, uh, you know, in, in what I do, you know, cause I do, I know, I mean, I, I post about on average once a day on LinkedIn, you know, and, um, of course, uh, you know, I, I post a lot on Facebook to, to show people, you know, some reason I think people are curious what I have for lunch. They're probably not, <laughs> <laughs> but I eat a lot of really cool stuff here in Japan. So maybe people are digging it. Um, but of course the kids and such like that, like sure. the family dig seeing the kids but yeah um i, th- I think I'm gonna something be, i think i'm gonna make it so the, the, the whole point of asking the questions of, of advice you'd give your younger self is i'm laying the groundwork and i'm trying to get as much input about starting you know there's there's other challenges right there's like this 75 hard mm-hmm. and i've got a ton of respect for anyone who does that but that that's a really i mean that's a that's, you're in some deep water, right? 75 days of no sugar, working out twice a day, 45 minutes, reading so much. So I think uh, a lot of people might, you know, some people are going to be, let's do it. And other people were like, well, maybe, maybe I won't. Cause that sounds too long. <laughs> Dude, I didn't know there was no sugar. I'm out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I'm thinking about coming up, not thinking about, I'm coming up with ways or, or some type of program, um, where maybe you can pick what you're going to, you know, they'll have a list to pick from. But I think, mm-hmm. I think one of the mandatory things is going to be, uh, some, some rationing of phone time of mm-hmm. not rationing, but, but cutting back on phone time. Because I know for me, it is, you know, I can talk about a consequence of habit. I can talk about recovery. I can talk about all of these things. And I can tell you straight to your face that I am 100% like many, many others addicted to that thing. So mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. is, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a pacifier, right? It's, um, it's that thing that we, you know, we reach for, we reach for something. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's so easily, like you said, it's so easily acceptable. It's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's like such a distractor when I, now I'm really thinking about it. It's like, it just takes me out of the moment mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it all, it's all in the past or it's planning in the future. So, That's all it is. but yeah, I think I would also incorporate into the, into your, your thing is like, Hey, there's probably should be some type of mindfulness in there. Maybe some tactical breathing, some tactical breathing. Yeah. I, you know, 30 days of tactical breathing. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. But it's that curiosity. I think that's the important thing. Like you say, Hey, I go to reach my phone. I go and, and you'll question what's your motives behind it. And that really is the first part, right? I mean, it's it's yeah. just it's it's being curious and bringing awareness 
to to yourself and and not and not being on autopilot because that's what these these scientists these engineers they know what they're doing right there's happy things anyone who's watched the Absolutely. documentaries on this they they are there's a reason we're all addicted. It's not, it wasn't an accident, right. everybody. So <laughs> right, right. They had plenty of board meetings about this. Yes. Trust me. <laughs> and there was, you know, and they're tapping into, uh, you know, the limbic system, the sure. emotions. You know, the the real primordial part of your brain where you, like you said, you autopilot. You're literally in a trance. You know, it's like to just grab it and not even question. Like, hold on a second. Let me let me engage my uh, my prefrontal cortex here and say why am I <laughs> why am I doing this yeah, what's yeah. going on here you know and is there something else like you know like is there something that needs to be addressed you know um, yeah man it's a it's a good conversation to have that's for sure it, it, and this next question <laughs> the irony is not lost mm-hmm. in me asking this if if somebody wanted to find out more about you if they wanted to check you out. Um, <laughs> On, on LinkedIn, or God, I feel I feel like uh, right. I would suggest they pick up their cellular phone and yeah, right. they, uh, open up their app. Yeah, and LinkedIn is the best place. So, man, so LinkedIn is the best place to get a, a hold of me um, for especially in professional context. Um, as, as I joke, but it's true. Like if you find me on Facebook, you're just going to see pictures of what I had for lunch. And uh, it's a better better place to get me on LinkedIn, and then from LinkedIn, uh, my email is listed and all that. Awesome. So, Awesome. And, and, yeah. one, and once you, in August, uh, as you separate from the Navy, you're going off to Thailand. Mm-hmm. What is, what type of, what's your education going to be in? What are you, what are you looking at? Yeah. Uh, so a couple of different things there is one, I plan to, uh, pursue a, a meditation teacher certification, uh, in Thailand. Hopefully the pandemic is lifted enough that I may be able to do that face to face somewhere. Um, and then also, uh, I been accepted into Arizona State University and I'm pursuing a master's of social work. Awesome. So I hope to take uh, my academics, my life experience, and my passion for for wellness, and um, come back around someday and, and help some people. Fantastic, man! Awesome. Yeah. I, I I think that I've said it before, but there, there's I have just a ton of respect for somebody who who can assess their own life and make these massive changes in it for the better. And I have even more respect for somebody who does that and then gives people blueprints to do the same thing. It's, I think it's, I think it's, it's amazing. And, and it's definitely part of, it's part of recovery, right? It's part of your mm-hmm. own recovery is, is, is bringing Absolutely. other people along on the, on the path with you. So, um, yeah. Chris, man, I really appreciate you coming on. I, I, I love your story. I appreciate your, your openness to it. And, um, I think there's, there's a lot to be learned, uh, uh from, from everything you've gone through. Thanks brother. Appreciate it. I really appreciate you having me on, man. It was an honor to be here. You got a great podcast. Keep it up. Thanks man. I appreciate it. Yeah, bro. All right. That's it for me. Thanks to Chris Norris for coming on the podcast and just sharing his story. Uh, make sure to check him out. He's really active on LinkedIn. I'll have his link in the show notes. Also be sure to support him in his upcoming run here in August for the honor foundation. Uh, that's it for me. Check you guys all out next week. Thank <laughs> you.